Hallelujah. Well, as you remember last week, we, we talked about a subject entitled The Spirit of the Antichrist in the World Today. The Spirit of the Antichrist in the World Today. How many know that things are lining up for the end of all things? You know, the Bible says over, um, Joel prophesied this, and then Peter got up on the day of Pentecost and preached a message And he said, because they were wondering what's going on here, he said, this is that. This is what? This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. I will pour out of of my spirit in the last days, saith God. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams, see visions. Oh, my handmaidens, I will pour out of my spirit. They shall prophesy. You know what he called that? He said, he called that, Peter was saying, the end of days. So in the, if the last days were in the book of Acts, where are we right now? We are in the very last of the last days. We are in the final grains of sand of time. Hallelujah. And you know, I believe that the enemy, knowing that his time is short, has great rage, the Bible says. And once, once things kick in, once the rapture of the church comes, he really knows because then he knows that, that tick-tock, tick-tock, that, that his time is only a short amount of time. And so what, one thing we see is we see the spirit of Antichrist in the world. We know that the Bible says that there is an Antichrist. After the church, the church, is, the Bible says, is the restraining force. So right now we are the restraining force that holds the Antichrist back. Some people, some people think we're in the millennium now. Trust me, we're not in the millennium now. <laughs> we're, we're not in the tribulation right now. <clears throat> we are in the end of days, but we're not in that time yet. The end is not yet. And so, right now though, the Bible says to occupy until he comes. The earth is not our home as a believer. The Bible says that we are just passing through. The Bible calls us pilgrims. So we are preparing as a church. One of our greatest missions is preparing people for eternity. Preparing people for eternity. You know, we have have faith, food, and fellowship once a month. But our biggest thing is not just to feed your belly. I think our biggest thing is is to feed you the Word of God and to have you ready, prepared to meet the Lord one day. You know, it's just like my family. I'm called, first and foremost, to pastor my family and to make sure the most important thing is that we all make it. That might sound selfish, but, you know, it starts in the home. If you don't know how to rule your own house, how can you take care of the church of God, the Bible says. So the most important thing is to make sure that you and your family make it. And one thing we have to understand is we're not going to make paradise down here. We're not going to make the earth into paradise. Well, we're just going to, it's going to be kingdom now, and we're going to have now, now, I believe that the Bible says that we can have days of heaven on earth, but we're not going to make this into paradise. We're not going to make this into 
oh, you know, we're going to make it so much better so Jesus can come back. No, that's not the way it is. The Bible says the worth is going to get darker and darker. At the same time, the church will be brighter and brighter. And so that means that we shall be a light. You don't put that light up underneath a bushel. You let that light stand. Let your light so shine before men, the Bible says. And we're also not here to save the earth. Now, we're not going to see how quick we can pollute it. But, you know, a lot of people talk about Mother Earth. The earth is not my mother. (laughs) I mean, if you go back, especially hundreds of years and even nowadays too, it, it, it was actually a religion, and people adhere to it even to this day of earth worship. They'll pay a, a high price for the earth, but not for you. Why? Well, you, you can't pollute the earth. We have to say, you know, you can't save the earth. <laughs> the Bible even says what the final state of the earth is. It's not global warming. It's a global melting. The Bible says that everything here shall melt. With fervent heat. So, you know what Peter says, and we're going to look at this verse in a minute. He says, How much more shall you have a holy and a lifestyle that pleases God, knowing that these things are going to come to pass? Praise God. But we're here right now to accomplish a job, and, and then we're done. You know, Jesus is not coming back to get a church that's just, just scraping by their fingernails and saying, Lord, please come back. You know why he's going to come back? Because we finished our part. We finished what he's called us to do. And then we, we step over into this other dispensation. And we, we step over um, into um, leading up to the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. So the next big thing that we have in, to look forward to is what we call the rapture of the church. Some people say, well, you know, I don't even believe in that because the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Well, that's good, but neither is the word Bible in the Bible either. But that doesn't make it not so. The rapture is just, is the word, what we see is catching away. The catching away of the saints. I know people don't believe it, but I believe it. Just give me that old time gospel. Just give me the old time, what the written word of God says. Hallelujah. And you know what kind of church he's coming back for? The Bible says he's coming back for a glorious church. One without spot and without wrinkle. Who would volunteer to be part of that church? Amen. Hallelujah. So I want to share this morning for just a few minutes on preparing for the return of Jesus. Preparing for the return of Jesus. You know, many people, they prepare all their life for vacation. Or they prepare all their life for retirement, and then they only live a few months or a few years. People spend more time preparing for a a vacation than they do for eternity. And so the most important thing is, where where am I going to spend eternity, and what do I have to show for it? Hallelujah. Many, even in the church world, don't live from an eternal standpoint. Many just leave everything up to the Lord so, so they have no responsibility. You know, some people even do that with salvation. Well, the, you know, people believe in predestination to the fact to where, you know what, if, if I'm going to be saved, I'll be saved. 
if God knows who's going to be saved and God knows who's going to live for him. And so they, they leave no responsibility for their own life. And they're deceived. <clears throat> One day it's going to be too late. Well, we're just going to wait. You know, we're just going to, and that's the sad thing. You know, the, the church world, and I don't even like to call it the, the real church, but, you know, when you look, look back in um, all through the ages and all through church history, through the years, and when the Catholic Church sold indulgences to pay for your sins and, and to get people out of hell and, and what they came up with this goofy doctrine called purgatory, which is not in the Bible. Just say it the way it is. And what's sad is people are in that state and they think, well, I've been here for 300 years and I'm going to get out. But there is no getting out. Once you leave this side, there is no getting out. So that's why we make the decision now. That's why through the foolishness of preaching, God saves people today. Hallelujah. So we know that Jesus is coming back very, very soon. And you want to be ready. Look over in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. You know, I know some people grew up maybe hearing a lot of preaching and, on uh, hellfire and brimstone. But there's a lot of people that, that they go across the ditch and they don't preach any, any kind of hell. I'm going to say this, I mean, because it's a scary thing. It really is. I went to, when I went to Brother Hagen's Bible school, I graduated in 1995. There, there was a minister there, very charismatic person. You know, just his personality was very charismatic. He, he knew the, the Roberts family very well. He knew Catherine Kuhlman, even worked with her and I think sang for her. He did our um, graduation was the commencement speaker. And now he preaches a message that says there is no hell. He preaches a message that says that believes in ultimate reconciliation. That, you know, everybody will be saved one day, even the devil. That preaches a message. But, you know, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. He, he talked many times about heaven. He talked many times about hell. He talked in um, Luke chapter 16, there was a certain rich man who died. You know, that's not, a, that's not just a parable because he said there was a certain. So that was someone who actually lived. There was a certain man and the Lazarus, a different Lazarus than the one that was, you know, his friend he raised from the dead. It said that he was, he was a poor, and he, he was a beggar. And... Um, I don't want you to get the story that just because he was a beggar, he went to heaven and the rich man died and went to hell because he had money. That's not what, the, what it's saying. But this man was not rich towards God. He was not, his life was not, you know, for the things of God. And it said that he died. It said the, 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 that the beggar, he died. It said he was in Abraham's bosom. That's before Jesus died and raised from dead. Now people go up. At that time, you had basically two compartments in the center of the earth in, in Hades, and one was Abraham's bosom. 
That's why he, he looked over and it said, and in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes and said, Father Abraham. Why? Because he could see. It was just, it says there's a, there's a gulf in between because he said, go, go send um, somebody to tell my brothers. I have five brothers. And, and go tell them, lest they come into this place of torment. And he said, they have the word. They have the gospel. They have uh, the law. He said, no, but if one raised from the dead, they would believe. He said, if they don't believe the, the, the law, they're not going to believe. Why? Because there's been many people raised from the dead, but that doesn't make people believe. <clears throat> so there is a heaven and there is a hell. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Look what 2 Timothy 4 says. Like Brother Hagin said, when he, after he had a, he has a little mini book called I Went to Hell. And if you know his experience, he went to hell three times and came back. And he says, well, you know, some people say, you know, you shouldn't scare people for missing hell. He said, by God, if you see it, you will. <laughs> but look what he says here. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul the Apostle says this in verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That's, that's our prayer that we, that, that each person will finish their course with joy, that you've kept the faith. Notice what he says in verse 8. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I love his appearing. I know that Jesus is coming back. But we live in a time when people, even in church, don't believe he's going to return. It's actually part of the spirit of Antichrist. And it's actually a sign of the end times. Turn in your Bible over to 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to read some, several verses here. So you know that I'm not making this up. 2 Peter chapter 3. So we're talking about preparing for the return of Jesus. There's things that we need to do. Not just accept Jesus, but also live for him. You know, it's, e it's easy to die for the Lord. It's another thing to live for him. <laughs> you know, it's just like the living sacrifice. The problem with the living sacrifice is it wants to crawl off the altar. But that's what the Bible says we are. We present our body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. But notice 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. In both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying. Now, what's one of the things you're going to see in the end days? Scoffers, and they're going to be saying this. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. 
So is that not what people say today? People say, well, you know, I've heard that since I've, I've been in church for 20 years and I've heard Jesus is coming. Well, that just means that we're closer than we've ever been. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Now, I'm not going to get into a study on this, but the Bible here talks about that the earth was destroyed with water more than one time. There is a double kingdom, and, and if you go back to Genesis, you'll see the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and without void. Well, the Lord did not create it like that. It became like that. And what he's talking about here, the earth, um, so there was Noah's time when, when um, we see the eight souls were saved by water. But also we see this other where, where it was destroyed by water. And this was, and like I said, this is a, a teaching in itself, but this is where, where demons and, and um, evil spirits come from. They were inhabiting the earth. They're still here. And the Bible says that they, uh, the water, water um, that those were perished um, by water, being overflowed with water, perished. But look in verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire. So this, this world is not, this earth is not going to get better. He said it's reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that's what the Lord's waiting for right there. It's the precious fruit of the earth. Why, why does he not come back yet? He's waiting for more people. He's waiting. He has long patience for it. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Notice what he admonishes us here in verse 11. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? I'm reminded of what uh, First John says, he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. Who's been reading in Revelation? The Bible talks about those, and it talks about mystery Babylon, and it talks about... Just, just say it the way the Bible says it, whore of Babylon. And it says that all those on the earth lamented, and it said how, this, how she has come to naught and the smoke of her burning in one hour. So all that was there is gone. 
And the Bible talks about different things, like as a millstone going to the bottom of the sea, that the, the merchants will be heard no more. The sound of rejoicing will be heard no more. All those things are, are so that's what, what Peter's saying here too. Seeing that all these things are going to come to pass, that the elements are going to melt with fervent heat, then what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, you know, that's not just your talk, that's your, your manner of life, your conduct. What, what kind of person should you be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting until the coming of the day of God. Well, you know, I'm not looking for the rapture. Well, I am. But I'm not just seeing how quick I can get out of here. I'm going to be, the Lord's going to find me busy. The Lord's going to find you busy. The Lord's going to find you and he's going to tap you on the shoulder. Oh, it's time to come. It's time to come home right now. Oh, okay, Lord. <laughs> Amen. We're not just going to be up in the mountains with our, with our uh, freeze-dried food. Amen. If you want to have extra food in your house, that's one thing, but don't, don't just go to the mountains and flee. He says you're going to be looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. How many know that's something that we do? 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says this, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, that's not something that, that God does for you. He says, let us cleanse ourselves. You know, there's an element of sanctification that God does, but there's an element that you set yourself apart as a vessel. Well, you know, the Lord, I'm just letting him set me apart. No, you set yourself apart. You set yourself apart to pray. You set yourself apart to crucify the flesh. You know, how many know that the Lord doesn't crucify the flesh for you? You know what a lot of people want to do? Well, it's like this one person came to a, to a minister and they said, you know what? Uh, you know, they were just talking to this lady and she was just trying to get help because she said, they said, um, brother so-and-so, this minister, so-called deliverance minister, I'm talking back in the 50s and stuff. They said, um, they, they cast a spirit of gluttony out of me. And, um, but I've gained 58 pounds. That's what the lady said. They said, and so the minister's wife said, well, did they say anything to you about diet or, or anything like that? They said, no, that spirit's gone. You can just eat anything you want to. Well, wouldn't that be nice? But, you know, you can't cast. How many know that overeating is the work of the flesh? It's not a devil. No, I understand if you give yourself to anything in the flesh, eventually the spirit can get behind that. But just there are certain things that are just works of the flesh. I cast that spirit of this and that spirit of that and spirit of that. And, you know, one, one, somebody came to Brother Hagin in the 70s and said, you know, Brother Hagin, I want to cash out. I want to cast out that spirit of flashy clothes. He said, no, I like that spirit. I'm going to keep it. 
Well, how many of you remember the suits in the 70s? I mean, pretty flashy, you know. And <laughs> So a lot of things are just works of the flesh. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things you can't cast out. Wouldn't that be nice? Just cast this. One, one lady said, you know, just cast this old unforgiven spirit out of me. The minister said, well, have you ever uh, had to forgive your husband? Oh, yeah, this morning we just had like a little spat. And, you know, we just had a little disagreement. He said, well, I thought you couldn't for forgive because you have an unforgiving spirit. He said, no, sister, you just don't want to forgive. And that's the truth. And so the Bible tells us to crucify the flesh and to mortify the flesh. Amen. It's not a popular subject, we know, but, but that's what the Bible tells us to do. Paul said, I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection. <clears throat> you know, the, <laughs> there's a, this, this lady came forward, and um, she was at the altar praying one time. She said, uh, and, and the minister said, it sounded like a, a freight train going through a tunnel. And she just kept crying out, said, Lord, oh God, and, and Oh, God, you know I don't want it. Take it away. And kept going, and then he stood up in front of her, and she just spit in his face, you know. And he said, Sister, what is it that you don't want to? You know, she just, he finally just shook her and said, In the name of Jesus, shut up. Well, that'll get your attention. He said, Sister, what is it that you don't want to give up? He said, uh, she said, Oh, good old snuff. And, you know, she, she dipped tobacco. He said, well, God doesn't want it. What's he going to do with it? He doesn't dip snuff. He said, you cut it off and God will heal it up. Amen. There's, there's things in, in my own life, and I'm sure in your own life, you have to cut it off and it, it's painful. Why? Because that, that work of the flesh may have been with you for a long time. But you cut it off and God will heal it up. Amen. And she just walked away and just said, well, I couldn't give up good old snuff and just left. But the Bible says you crucify the flesh. You mortify it. And if you don't want to do it, just ask your spouse. They'll do it for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but notice what he says here. Seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. I believe we can be a... The, the book of Jude, at the end of the book, it says, Now to him that is able to keep you falling and to present you faultless, I believe it's verse 24, before his exceeding glory. So God can present us faultless. If we present, if we give him something to work with, he can keep us from falling. Even Second Peter 1, if you, if you read back a couple chapters, he says if you put all these things in your life, he talked about brotherly kindness, love, temperance, all these things. If, if you do these things, he says, you won't be um, unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, if you do these things, you'll never fall. I don't know about you, but I like that. Because a lot of people today, they're expecting to fall. You know, I'm not running my race right now expecting to fall. Have you ever seen, like, like my son, play, well, he was in track last year. Now, he didn't do the, the 400 meter. He did the shot put. So he's throwing that big ball thing. <laughs> and, and, of course, the older you get, the, the heavier that thing is. And it, like, doubles, you know, in a couple of years, the weight of it. But nobody runs that sprint thinking, okay, I'm going to run, but I sure hope I don't fall. 
you know, let's go. And boy, I hope I don't fall. No, you would never even start the race. I don't run my race. Well, you know, I'm going to run for Jesus and I hope I don't fall. No. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. A righteous man shall fall seven times, but then he shall arise. So if, if you do fall, you just get right back up. Look at verse 15. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. You know, Peter didn't even understand everything in the revelation that Paul had. But thank God he said that there, there were scriptures, though. And it says that the unlearned and unstable, they rest with those as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. But look at verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, see that, seeing that you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. So what's he telling us? Beware. What does that mean? Watch out. Lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. What does that mean? That means I got to keep the fire burning. That means I got to stay close to Jesus. That means that I can't let other people dictate what I can have in life. They can't dictate how far I go in the Lord. So don't be led away and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace. You know what's interesting? I was thinking about this even yesterday. A lot of people misunderstand the grace of God, but the grace of God can be seen, the grace of God can be perceived, and the grace of God can be received. The Bible talks about don't receive the, the grace of God in vain. I don't frustrate the grace of God. You can do all things to the grace of God. But one thing that you don't hear many people talking about is you can grow in grace. Growing in grace. So Peter says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Hallelujah. And I want you to just turn over to Matthew 25. We'll, we'll finish up here. I don't have anywhere else to go, but um, we just continue on. You know, one day we're going to be in church forever. (laughs) (laughs) Matthew 25. Notice what Jesus gives this parable. He says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto the ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So these were pure people. We could say that they were church people. Why? Because they're, they're called virgins. But five were foolish and five were wise. The thing that, that stands out with the foolish, it said they took no oil. They were not prepared to stay a long time. But the wise, they were ready to stay and, 
and waited out. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. How many know who um, the bridegroom is? Jesus. You know, we're the bride of Christ. <clears throat> it says, and, and here's, here's the punchline. Look in the end of verse 10. Because when you read a parable, a parable is different from an allegory. You know, an allegory, you read this, and this stands for this, this stands for this. But in a parable, there's usually one central truth that they're, they're getting over to you. And it's right here in the, in the end of verse 10. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. So what's, what's he saying? Those that are ready went in with, to be with the Lord. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. He answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So what's he saying? Be ready at all times. Keep your garments clean. Keep yourself. The Bible talks about, uh, in, the, in the first John chapter 5, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Whose responsibility is that? That's us. The Bible says, judge yourselves and you won't be judged. I would much rather judge myself than have God judge me. Because the Bible says, when you're judged of the Lord, then you're chastened of him. I don't know if anybody, and he doesn't chasten people with sickness and disease. He does it with his word. But I would rather obey words and make the adjustments. You know, it's like, you know, when, when you have little ones, and you know, nowadays, you know, especially in, in some countries, you know, it's like against the law to spank. But we believed in that, and we sure believed in that when I was growing up. Because we, my dad would take the belt, and he'd go, going through the belt loops. And I was like, oh, no. I mean, you're crying before it ever touches your backside. <laughs> Whoever experienced that? <laughs> but the Bible says that discipline is good. When we're corrected to the Lord, it's so we will not be judged with the world. And so the Bible says judge yourself. So judging yourself is a beautiful thing. Judging yourself just says, Lord, I see that I'm wrong. And, and you know, even if it's sin. Lord, that's sin, and I call it what it is. I repent, and I get it out of me. I ask you to forgive me in Jesus' name. And, and, and then you go on. And we judge ourselves. Amen. So we have to be ready. So how do we get ready for the return of the Lord? How, how do we live in a place? Well, number one, the Bible says you must be born again. You must be born again. So that's why we, we give people an invitation to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Why? Because we don't want people to, 
I mean, what, what other place, if you can't give an altar call in church, I mean, I know you can do it on a street corner too and, and personally witness to people and lead them to the Lord, but I mean, this is where people come to get help. And the biggest help you can give it is them being born again. So number one, you have to be born again. Number two, you must live for the Lord. And it's always, like we said, it's easy to find people that are ready to die for the Lord. But what he's looking for is people that will live for him. Lord, I'll die for you. Well, I want you to live for me. You know, Peter was ready to die for the Lord, but he wasn't ready to live for him. He denied him. (laughs) And then number three, stay very close to the Lord and his church. Notice I said, and his church. I mean, you want to be following so hard. You know what the Bible says? My soul follows hard after the Lord. That means if you're following the Lord so close, if he stops, your nose is going to run right into his back. It's like you see these parades sometimes, and they're marching, and they're not paying attention, and the tuba player runs right in the back, and it's like that mouthpiece doesn't feel good. I mean, I played the tuba, so I know how that is. You know, it's one thing if you have a woodwind instrument, but a brass, I mean, you got teeth and everything that affects. And so follow hard after the Lord and put him first. And also stay close to his church. Why? Because the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And so this is not a time to draw back. I mean, who's excited when you... Now, I know there's a lot of fake news out there, and you have to watch where you get your source from. I mean, <laughs> who saw the one clip where over, um, over in Ukraine, it showed all these bodies laying out there, and then the body bag just raises up? Yep. Oh, excuse me, um, lay back down, you're dead. I mean, come on, folks. How many know it's not always what the way it seems? But this is not a time to draw back. Hebrews 10.39 says this, But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So we're not going to draw back. We're not going to, we're not going to, these are the best days ahead. This is the best days for the church. Amen. When you read the book of Revelation, you see that during the the tribulation, there's many people that are saved. Many people. And they're going to go through all kinds of, many of them will be martyred. And they really are exhorted to stay true to the Lord during that time. We now don't have that kind of pressure. But wise men still follow the king today. So, you know, the Bible says that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So either you make the decision now or you make the decision later, but it'll be too late. But now we make the decision to follow him and to be ready at all times. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you today for your word. Father, I thank you that you're preparing your church to be ready, Lord. Lord, not just to be born again, but just 
every day that we would live for you. Every day we would be radical, Lord, in our faith, radical in our believing. And we worship you, we magnify you, and we give you glory.